Some employers will say, I want you to update that every 30 days. I want you to go back and update it in this time period. But according to the ADA and the Job Accommodations Network, JAN.org, once an employee requests an accommodation, that accommodation should be set in place the entire time that employee is employed by that company. Why is it important for employers to learn to work with their chronically ill employees and make appropriate accommodations so that they can be productive, fruitful, and happy members of the workforce? Let's talk all about it with certified fibromyalgia coach, author, and life coach, Julie Hamilton, right here in episode 437 of The Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. This podcast is all about you. It's also about your personal and professional development, your nursing and healthcare career, and the healthcare system in the bigger picture. And I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, entrepreneurship, medicine, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride, and I thank you from the bottom of my nurse podcaster's heart for being part of the Nurse Keith Nation. And if you want to earn CEUs for listening to podcasts, you can go to rnegade.pro. That's R-N-E-G-A-D-E.pro. See how they did that? Renegade. They're building a library of nursing podcasts that offer continuing education credits. So go over there, log into the portal, select me or any content creator from the drop-down menu and get CEs because you know what? You're listening anyway, so you might as well get continuing ed while you're doing so. If you want to help other people find the show, leave a rating and review over on Apple or Google or Spotify or Amazon, or just share the show with anyone you think who might enjoy or benefit from it. The show notes will be at nursekeith.com, but they're also on any app where you happen to be listening. So as I said, we are here with Julie Hamilton. She's a certified fibromyalgia coach and life coach, and she's also an author. We're going to talk about her new book. And Julie, I'm so glad you're here. This is a super, super important topic that I haven't really covered on this show actually after 437 episodes, unfortunately. I mean, we have talked about mental illness at work and things like that, but your approach to this is very, very important and crucial. And I'm grateful to have this conversation with you. So my leading question is, why is this particular topic of employers learning to work with their chronically ill employees why is this topic so important to you? Well, let me tell you, Keith. Um, it's important to me because I was an HR director for 20, 25 years manage, at a management level, I should say, because I was a manager or director. And during that time, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. And so I was lucky enough because I had the knowledge and expertise of the rights I had or the policies or the laws in place to help me do my job. Um, so when I became a certified fibromyalgia coach and started working with clients, one thing I kept hearing over and over that was repetitive was, 
I don't know how to talk to my boss. I don't know what my rights are. You know, I don't know what's out there to help me. I'm scared I'm going to get fired. So I just kind of took that in my HR and put it together because I want to be out there to educate not only clients, well, these this is what you can do, but I want employers to know you. this is how you can learn how to work with us. So your absenteeism decreases, your productivity increases, your medical costs decrease, but also those open positions, the turnover costs. So it's kind of a passion I have because I've been an HR geek for so long, but I live with a chronic illness on a daily basis. Well, it's very courageous of you to talk about having a chronic illness publicly. I've done the same. I've talked about living with depression and PTSD. I have chronic pain myself. I have this weird bone disease that um, causes me a lot of discomfort. So I get it from a personal standpoint. And, you know, I can't and don't want to work a job where I have to stand for hours and hours and hours because it's really, really hard for me. It's also hard for me to sit for hours and hours. Um, but there, there's so much to unpack around the notion of disability and disability in the workplace. And obviously, you just talked about why it's important for employers to, to recognize this because you want to decrease attrition of course, you want employees who are going to stick around because, I mean, mm -hmm. face it, you know, you spend thousands and thousands of dollars, sometimes tens of thousands to onboard and train new employees. So if they're just going to leave after eight months because you're not treating them well, it's, it's not very good for your bottom line and your return on investment. So it makes sense. But mm -hmm. my question is, you know, well, I have so many questions. <laughs> when it comes to the law and when it comes to rights, I know that when you're in an interview, they can't ask you if you're pregnant or planning to get pregnant. They can't ask you if you have a disability. But how does the law really see this? And where do we turn as workers and also as managers and supervisors and, and employers when we want to understand the world of disability vis-a-vis -vis the workplace? Okay. Well, normally when I was like an HR director, I had them read the job description during the interview. And I said, are you able to perform the essential functions of the job with or without accommodations? So the answer is yes, I can perform them. But you don't really ask during the interview process about that. Um, I don't feel because people can discriminate against you for that and not hire you. But I think that during the onboarding, you could talk to um, the, the trainer, the HR, the manager, whoever that person may be, um, and kind of talk about some things that, um, well, I could do this, but have you ever thought about maybe trying this or having this kind of assistance so on the onboarding process um but i think it's so important that we also realize that not all disabilities are visible um though it's those invisible things you know kind of like mine kind of like yours you may look all right 
I see you, you're fine, you're not sick. You know, we as employers have to keep an open mind that we can't always see everything, but we need to learn how to manage it or how to work with that person um, and find out what their day's like, mm-hmm. okay? I think uh, sitting down and visiting with somebody and keeping that line of communication and having trying to get the understanding of what they live with every day so I know what to look for when you're having a bad day. Does that make sense? That does make sense. And legally, then, they can't ask about it in the interview, right? Mm-hmm. And it can't be part of, like, you know, a screening. If if you come in and you're in a wheelchair, that's one thing. And there is yeah. a nurse, there's a very well-known nurse who I want to have on my show, who she was the first nurse who was licensed in New York City and then and hired by an employer who was a nurse in a wheelchair. And she had 76 interviews before she got her first job. And I would really like to have her on the show. She's a keynote speaker, motivational speaker. Um, So obviously I bet she was discriminated against wildly, but they wouldn't say it's because she was in a wheelchair, but I bet, you know, 75 of those probably looked at the wheelchair and they were like, "Mm, nurse in wheelchair, no. So it'll be interesting to talk to her at some point. Mm-hmm. So here's a question for you. If I have a chronic illness or a disability that isn't visible, I'm not in a wheelchair, I'm not mm-hmm. walking with an oxygen tank, anything like that, right? I'm not mm-hmm. an amputee and they, there's nothing they can see or discern. Am I legally required to disclose that disability in my interview or do I wait to tell them and ask for accommodations once I've signed a contract and received a higher letter? I would wait till afterwards. Okay. And so that's perfectly legal to do that, right? Mm-hmm. Would would certain employers see that as subterfuge or kind of disingenuous? No, because then they would have to prove that you aren't able to do the job. Oh, okay. So if you if you tell them during the interview process that you can do the job with or without accommodations, then that's what they should base their hiring on. Okay. But if so, they but if they ask you, but okay, I want to be really clear. They can't ask you during the interview if you need accommodations. They can just say, can you do the job with or without accommodations? Yes. And you just say yes. And so that yes could mean, yes, I can do the job with accommodations or Mm -hmm. I can do it without accommodations, but they can't then ask me what my disability is until they hire me. Yeah, they shouldn't. Yeah. Now, what if I have a chronic illness that isn't, recognized by the Americans with Disabilities Act. Okay. So like legally, like say I have, um, I don't know, multiple chemical sensitivity, which I don't believe is is like officially recognized as a disability under the right. ADA. Right. Does that change the circumstance in terms of accommodation or do they still legally have to accommodate me? 
once you ask for that accommodation and and show that you need it, um, especially like doctor documentation, like mm-hmm. your doctor says this client or this patient needs accommodations due as, to a serious medical condition. And they don't have to disclose what that is because it's confidentiality. So they don't have to disclose that. Hmm. So the doctor's note doesn't have to disclose the actual diagnosis. No, it just, it ha- it has to say like a serious medical condition. Um, Cause you don't uh, have to disclose that at all. And under the HIPAA, you know, Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. Mm-hmm. That came in to play to protect the confidentiality of serious medical conditions for the employee, um, anything like that. So they don't have to disclose what their illness is or what their disability is. They can just say it's a serious medical condition and they can get that backed up with doctor's documentation. Great. Okay. And I know there have been employers that'll say, well, I don't believe you're sick, so I'm going to deny this, you know, and then it goes through some court proceedings and appeals and that kind of stuff. I was not one of the employers that would deny that because I don't have MD behind my name. And I know there's invisible things, invisible diseases, disabilities. And so I never doubted what the doctor was giving me. But I know there are employers that do that. Um, The other thing I want to mention is once you request an accommodation at work, Some employers will say, I want you to update that every 30 days. I want you to go back and update it in this time period. But according to the ADA and the Job Accommodations Network, JAN.org, once an employee requests an accommodation, that accommodation should be set in place the entire time that employee is employed by that company. This is really, really helpful. Um, and a lot of people have chronic illnesses and disabilities, right? Like, is there, are there statistics that you're aware of in terms of how many people really have a disability or chronic illness, say in the United States? Six out of 10 have one, four out of 10 have two or more. Six out of 10 have one. Mm Mm-hmm. Four out of 10 have two or more, and that's chronic illness. And Mm -hmm. some chronic illnesses are a disability, some are not, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you have, um, I don't know, if you have congestive heart failure, it might not be a disability because it may not affect your ability to do your job because maybe it's treated really well and it's very mild. So it's a chronic illness, but it hasn't brought you to the place of some level of disability, right? Legally. So like um, diabetes Mm -hmm. is considered a chronic illness. Okay. But it's not considered a disability. Okay. So a chronic illness is defined as something that lasts long-term, oops, lasts long-term and you seek medical attention on a 
periodic or regular basis. So if I have the flu or break my leg or something, that's pretty short term. And even though I do see the doctor on a regular basis, but long term is nine months, 12 months, lifetime. I see. Okay. Now, what about pregnancy? You know, I know, you know, back in the day, decades ago, pregnancy was seen as like a medical emergency. You know, it was like it was a mm -hmm. it was seen as a medical problem. We approach pregnancy and, and childbirth in a very different way right now. But legally, let's say I'm I'm a woman who is applying for a job as a nurse, and maybe my husband and I are trying to start a family, but you know, I have no idea when I might get pregnant. Of course, you know, it could happen next week, mm -hmm. could be six to 12 months, could be several years before I get pregnant. So it that's not that's not a chronic illness. It's not a disability, but it has there are protections when it comes to pregnancy. Can you explain what that means? Let's say when I'm I'm in the job market. And let's say maybe I just I'm interviewing for a job and I find out I'm eight weeks pregnant. What mm -hmm. am I required to do? What am I what is my employer not allowed to do or say? During the interview process? During the interview process, and then once I'm hired, and then once I disclose that I'm pregnant, et cetera. Okay. Well, during the interview process, you don't want to disclose it. And they can't ask. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So after you are hired and on board, you know, go through all the training and all of that, then I would probably disclose it when you're, when I consider if you're in that safe zone, which um, is anywhere in your second trimester. And when you say safe zone, you mean like when you know the pregnancy is viable and... Yeah. You've you've passed the first trimester and kind of the the period of sometimes there's a little tentativeness, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, when you're, I'm a person that has suffered um, eleven miscarriages, hmm. so I made sure that I didn't tell anybody until the second trimester, okay. because everything can happen in that first trimester, whatever that can be. So when I say safe, that's kind of what I mean. When you're past that, I can take a deep breath. I think things are going to be good now. Yeah. So that's probably when I would do it. I would not do it during the interview. Definitely not. And they can't ask you. Mm -hmm. And if they do, that's that's very illegal. Yeah. Well, I'm so sorry you suffered so many miscarriages. That That can be incredibly traumatic. It yeah. can be, yeah. Yeah, I'm so sorry. And thank you for being courageous to share that. That's thank very you. personal. Um, so gosh, there there's you know, there are so many obviously disabled people in the world, and mm -hmm. many of them still need to work, right? They might be on disability, they might not. Maybe they've been denied disability. There are plenty of us with chronic illnesses. I mean. I fall into the two or more category, the one in, what is it, one in six people or something that has 
more than four two out chronic of 10. Cancer, four out of four 10. Out of 10. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm definitely in the category of two or more. And some of them affect my, my, um, ability to do certain things on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So I totally understand. And then there are the people who have no disabilities at all, who are, you know, completely physically and mentally fit, et cetera. And, you know, great for them. Yeah. (laughs) But but this can happen to anyone at any time and our lives can change at any moment, but our need to, um, earn a living doesn't necessarily change. So as we, as we age, lots of things happen. And as the workforce ages and we have more and more older people who need to work because of the economy, these are very important issues. And you've written a book and it's called chronic illness at work, how managers can support employees with chronic illness. It's a very, very important book. And when we come back from the break, I'd love to have you read an excerpt so listeners can hear it in your voice, part of the book, just to get a sense of where you're coming from so that they can hear a little bit of um, what you have to say from that perspective. And I'd like to talk more about what you do and your experience in human resources and any other recommendations you have for employees and workers and employers out there who really want to tackle this issue and make sure they do the right thing all of you know every step of the way so hang in there we'll be right back with the second half of episode 437 and we're here with julie hamilton certified fibromyalgia coach life coach and author We'll be right back. And welcome back to the second half of the episode. We're here again with friend of the pod and my new friend and colleague, Julie Hamilton. She is a fibromyalgia coach, a life coach, and a published author. And Julie, right before the break, we were talking about your new book, Chronic Illness at Work. Mm-hmm. how managers can support employees with chronic illness. Would you do this the honor of reading some of the book out loud so that we can hear a little bit of your writing in your own voice? Yes, I'd love to. And this is this is a, a very passionate passage to me because I think it gets my whole message across. Okay. Go for it. Individuals with long-term illnesses should not live in fear of losing their jobs because they are ill. They should be able to go to work and feel they are working in a safe place that has their best interest in mind. For some, working may be the one place they feel like a human being where they are seen and heard and they forget their health struggles just for a little bit. So the workplace is a place where people find meaning. I mean, a lot of us Mm -hmm. find meaning in our work and it must be to you, especially because of the work you do. Mm -hmm. It must be really sad when you hear from someone who feels like work is no longer offering for them that possibility of, you know, fulfilling their potential and being a productive, happy member of the workforce and society. So, you know, you wrote this book and Mm -hmm. we can tell obviously that it comes from personal experience because you, you have disabilities yourself Yes, and you 
care very passionately about this topic. So when people contact you and they want to work with you, what happens and what what are they what are the common concerns that people come to you with when they write you and say, hey Julie, I really need your help? Well, I kind of set up what I call a consultation with them. Um, I kind of delve into what are their biggest struggles? What are their daily things they're struggling with? What is like their biggest fear? Or, and what what do you want your life to really look like? Um, and then I kind of tell them a little bit about what my style is for coaching. Um, and then we kind of decide if we want to work together. And then from there, I set up um, coaching sessions on a weekly basis. Because, you know, when you go to go to your doctor, you maybe get 10, 15 minutes if you're lucky. They say, OK, I want you to go uh, on a gluten free diet. This is going to help with your inflammation. Go do it. I don't know what to do. You're putting me out there and you're, I feel you're setting me up to fail. Well, that's where a coach like myself would come in. We meet with you weekly. We set up those goals. We figure out how you're going to do that. Um, I know with past clients of mine, I'll research recipes for them. I'll teach them tricks and tips to help them be successful. Like I said, we set up weekly goals. And then every week when we meet, we see how you've you've achieved those goals. And if you've achieved those goals, we do what I call little happy dances. Because as you and I know, with a chronic illness, we can be very negative. We can be get down on ourselves. And this is a bad day type thing. But I think if we uh, maintain that positive mindset, positive thinking, it can really affect our health and make us feel better. So that's where I like to celebrate what I call those little wins. And I don't mean like goals are, okay, this week you're going to lose 10 pounds. It's this week. Okay. Did you eat healthy every day? Uh Or did you fix three meals this week instead of going through a Uh drive-thru? You know, it's those little goals that you're, that's going to help you change your lifestyle and create those habits to help you learn to manage your illness. Right. And and you're a fibromyalgia coach and a life coach. Mm -hmm. And I assume that, you know, the fibromyalgia is a specialty Yes, because you have fibromyalgia yourself. However, I'm sure you work with people who have all sorts of disabilities and chronic illnesses. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And I work with people globally. I mean, I've had clients in Argentina in Spain, in Australia. I mean, I've, they've been all over. And the other thing that is great about my network that I have is if it's a specialty that um, I'm not really familiar or isn't my area expertise, like you mentioned, chemical sensitivities or environmental sensitivities. I have a really great fibro friend coach that's in, in Canada. I'd match you guys up. Or, you know, one thing you have to think about, even if you don't have a fibromyalgia, um, I know a thyroid coach, a lupus coach, you know, it's it's okay. research what your disability or your disease is 
search that out find somebody that has the expertise in it and can help you learn to manage it so you can have a joyful life full of purpose again hmm. a joyful life full of purpose so mm -hmm. that sounds like it's really a deeply seated part of your mission when it comes to your work with your clients yep, yep. yeah and do you do you consult with employers? Have you ever had a company come to you of any size, small or large, who want help figuring out how to accommodate a particular employee or maybe a, a, they want to look globally at this whole issue? I haven't worked with an individual company, which I would love to do. Just, you know, contact me. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, I don't know if you're familiar with employee assistance programs. Yeah, EAPs, yes. Yeah, EAPs. I have done some training with two large EAPs in the U.S. One of them was just EAPs, other like um, counselors within their therapists, within their um, organization. It was a, a regional organization. And then I worked with one EAP who was, it was a bunch of managers and employers. Mm. So I've, I've worked with both um, just to kind of go over why it's important for you to learn how to work with someone like me. Right. And EAPs, employee assistance, assistance programs are really important because mm -hmm. they are supposed to always be anonymous and yeah. you can go and say, I'm really stressed out. I'm burnt out. I'm having problems with, you know, my, my marriage or relationship, or maybe my chronic illness is really flaring up right now. And I'm having a hard mm -hmm. time. It's, you know, your employer doesn't even know that you, or shouldn't know that you even went to the EAP. Correct. So these are important services. And as an HR professional, I'm sure, you know, that was very crucial you know to you in terms of your work and yeah. in the first half of the show you mentioned um jan the job accommodations network jan.org yes so during the break you and i were chatting and you were saying that it's it's not a federal organization but it's somehow tangentially connected to the ada uh -huh. so when when we need information about job accommodations does jan offer information for only employees or only employers or can anyone go to them and are they sort of a clearinghouse for all of the above um if you go to jan.org you can they have I don't, and i can't remember if it's a chat or an email or maybe you have a choice um but it's anonymous Obviously, they don't know who you are. They don't know who you work with. They don't they don't know any of that. But you can type in a question or, you know, do research on different accommodations and that kind of stuff. And they're pretty good about getting back to you within 24 hours um, and and giving you even like maybe the reg or or something that relates to what your question is. Um, but they are are connected somehow with the ADA. Hmm. So, right. So they can help you understand some of mm -hmm. the, uh, let's say nuances of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Yeah. And 
And when when you work with clients from other countries, you mentioned Argentina, you mentioned Spain, you mentioned um, Australia. Mm -hmm. um, do most other countries that you've encountered have a parallel to the ADA? Yeah, um, we're able to work on accommodations together. The one thing that I, mean, I have noticed when working with them, they don't have anything that's similar to Family Medical Leave Act. Mm. Um, but if you know much about Europe, they're pretty good about having that work-life balance and allowing people time off. Um, Australia is pretty good about that too. So it kind of depends on the country that you're in. Um, and I find sometimes that they're a little bit more willing to work with you than maybe the U.S. is. Yeah, I mean, my friends in Europe, I mean, there's so many things that surprise them about life in the U.S. Like, you know, the fact that we have to pay for university, first of all, they're like, you mm -hmm. pay for university, right? Um, but also, you know, my friends in the Netherlands, when they've had children and they've had they've had a number of children, you know, they get very, very generous maternity and paternity leave. I mean, yep. you know, months of leave for both the father and the mother, you know. So mm -hmm. there there is a way in which Europe especially seems far to far outstrip us in terms of how they look at quality of life for workers and for families. And it's really awesome. Um, doesn't change our situation here in the United States. No. So, I mean, the ADA is super important. It's been with us for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And these types of um, regulations and laws are important for employers to be aware of, but employees need to understand their rights. So when it comes to our rights here in the United States, mm -hmm. is the Job Accommodations Network the best place to go if I want to know what my rights are? Or is there somewhere in the federal government I should look for my rights as an employee, as a worker? Well, if you go on Google, you can go, you can Google like employee rights or things like that. Um, also, you know, you can ask if you have a good relationship with your boss or your HR department, you can ask them, do you have, is there laws or policies that you have that I should be taking advantage of? Hmm. Okay. That's with good. With my dis disability or with so my health like condition. A, yeah. So that sounds like a real HR kind of question. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, if people want to read your book, Chronic Illness at Work, How Managers Can Support Employees with Chronic Illness, is that uh, the best place to go is Amazon or is there somewhere else they should go? Yeah, it's available on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right now that's uh, the only place it's available. So okay. it's on Amazon, but yeah. And is, is it in print version and or Kindle or audio? It's not in audio. I think it's just in Kindle and print. Okay. That's good. Yeah. And your website is coachingpi.com. And mm -hmm. then on Facebook and Instagram, you're coaching PI. What does the PI stand for? Positive influence. 
Like I had mentioned earlier, you know, with a chronic illness, we can be very negative and down and, you know, live our life like that. And I think it affects our outlook and it affects our health. Mm -hmm. So I'm one that I don't, I don't let my clients wallow in that self-pity. What are we going to do to make our life better? Because we have to learn to live with the hand that we're dealt. Mm -hmm. So So, positive influence is really kind of your your modus operandi yep yeah Mm -hmm. i love that okay so julie before we go and this has Mm -hmm. been really great this is such helpful information and i bet it'll be very inspiring and informative for so many people i have four quick questions that are not related to anything we were just talking about Um, okay (laughs) i ask all my guests these questions are you game for a little like lightning round yeah okay so your first question is, how do you define success, either personally or professionally? I define success as something very personal. Curse, I'm, I'm very much an introvert. I don't want people to recognize me. I'm not flashy like that. So when I, I feel successful is when I've helped somebody else or when I feel that I I am living to the purpose, my purpose. Hmm. I like that. That's great. So to me, it's very personal. Yeah, I like that. Okay, Mm -hmm. second question. Could you name, or if you don't want to name them, just describe a person who's inspired you during the course of your life. They could be living or dead, could be a really famous person, or it could just be someone who you know who none of us would ever have had the opportunity to have gotten to know or meet? Hmm. There's been so many Mm -hmm. people that have influenced me over my career. I've had some really great bosses that helped me develop. Um, But the ones that I want to say the most are probably my parents. Hmm. And why is Um, that? They um, lived during, uh, through the Great Depression and, and, you know, all of that. They had their first kid in in the 40s, 1940s and all of that. And so they've lived through a lot. Um, At the time, my parents were Catholic and my dad was a teacher and he couldn't, teach in a large school system because he was Catholic and how he overcame that and how my mom worked so he could go to college and she kind of put her college days off to support him but they raised five kids on a farm and were very successful and lived a very blessed life you know, and it it doesn't take a lot of money and and it doesn't take other people. It's just really what we had as family values and the cores. And my dad had four girls and one boy and living on a farm, you know, there's a lot of work. And he said, there's no boy jobs and there's no girl jobs. There's just jobs that need to be done and we're going to do them. That's awesome. And where did you grow up? I grew up in the Midwest in Kearney, Nebraska. Oh, cool. Okay. And um, are your parents still living? No, they've been uh, gone for 10 years now. Hmm. Mine too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Miss them every day. Words of wisdom. 
<laughs> yeah, I hear you on that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, blessings on your parents. So the third question, penultimate question, is there a book or a movie? It doesn't have to be an absolute favorite because that's too hard for most of us to pin down. But any book or any movie that has impacted the way you think, the way you live your life, the way you approach your work, anything like that? Hmm. I think uh, for me, just through different hardships and chronic illness and things, um, I think anything that is inspirational or faith-based for me, mm-hmm. um, as I try to treat others how I would like to be treated, uh, kind of that golden rule and pay it forward with blessings. Mm. So inspirational and faith-based. So that's kind of where your where your um, special like juice comes from for you, yeah. and kind of the way you live your life. Yeah, yeah, that's lovely. Okay, so last question: <laughs> If you were named Queen of the World tomorrow, what's one of the first things you'd want to do to improve the lives of your subjects? And bear in mind that being Queen of the World means you have absolute power. So this would only be your first act. So you don't have to like get it all done in one one go. Just but what's one of the first things you feel like you would want to be like, okay, my subjects all get, you know, fill in the blank. Wow, there's so many things with that one for me. Yeah. Um you know, I I'd want chronic illness for doctors to learn more about them. Because they only get 10, 15 minutes maybe in med school on some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd want more research done to find um, maybe not the root causes. Maybe it's the root cause. Maybe it's the cure mm-hmm. or how we can manage them because mm-hmm. they're becoming more and more prevalent. And I I just want people to understand us better. Mm. I like that. So you would want more education, more understanding so that people can understand one another and people with chronic illness can be accommodated and recognized and there can actually be some forward movement. You'd want to see like some real action. Well, that would be an awesome thing as queen of the world. So um, let's go for that. Well, Julie Hamilton, this has been so wonderful. I really encourage people to go to coachingpi.com and I recommend they go to Amazon and look for your book, Chronic Illness at Work and order a copy, either Kindle or print. And I'm so glad you reached out to me. I'm so glad we've gotten connected. And thank you for being a champion of a very, very important topic that's close to my heart because I'm one of those people and Mm -hmm. I really appreciate all this really good work you do in the world. Well, thank you for having me on. And, and I, I love talking about this because it is a huge passion of mine and, and with helping others. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Nurse Keith Show. Remember, go to coachingpi.com. Check out Julie. Go to her Facebook and Instagram. Let her know you heard her on the here on The Nurse Keith Show. And go to Amazon and consider ordering her book, Chronic Illness at Work. Whether you're an employee or an employer, it's an important read. And maybe you want to give a copy to your boss. 
I hope you feel uplifted and empowered from this episode, and I encourage you to take inspired action every day in the interest of your personal and professional satisfaction and development. If you need personalized holistic career coaching to elevate your nursing career, look no further than Nurse Keith Coaching at nursekeith.com. Mention the show and get 10% off your first coaching package. And if you want to become a patron, you can skip on over to patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith if you want to pledge even $2 a month to help support the production and recording of the Nurse Keith show. We're proud members of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com. We're adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting. Before we say goodbye, I'll leave you with this quote by the musician Robert Fripp. And Julie, you'll appreciate this one. May my living honor my parents. May my living repay the debt of my existence. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful and very, very warm Santa Fe, New Mexico, and the wonderful Julie Hamilton saying arrivederci from the hottest place right now, Phoenix, Arizona. All right, Julie, stay cool. Thank you for being here. Thanks to everyone for listening, and we will catch you on the proverbial flip side.